what you do in a B-movie. The end is a little bit ridiculous. I was unsurprised to see that. And it's sweet! Oh my gosh, you guys need to go watch it. It's so good. It's so good. I want to watch it again. internet travelers and welcome once again to the before and after show as always i'm your co-host mj smith and i am not joined by my co-host ryan buell are you Uh, sure yes that's not how ryan sounds at all (laughs) i am however joined by my wife Kristen smith hello hi how are you wife i'm good that's good how's it going i'm good how are you good how are you going what what (laughs) Um, yeah, we're here to talk about the new film, Don't Breathe. You messed up already. Oh, okay. Yep, you should have, you, if all goes according to plan, you should be dead by the end of this podcast. Well, you said I already messed it up, though. Yep, from all the breathing. Yeah, so we're not according, we're not doing anything according to plan. I guess not, so let's do uh, plan B, which is actually plan A most of the time. Since the not breathing portion didn't work out. Um, have you been watching anything this week? Wouldn't you know, I've been watching the same things as my husband. Not all of them. What? Nope. Why not? What have I been watching that you haven't been watching? Opposite. What have you been watching that I haven't been watching? Superman. The Raid. What's The Raid? The movie I told you I fell asleep during the other... Not fell asleep, but I... the action movie that I tried watching and I was like, oh, I don't care about these people. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. Anyway, what have you been watching this week? Literally the same things that you've been watching except for two things. Okay. What are they? Um, Cake Boss. Okay. How's that going? Um, I finished it. All of it? I mean, all of it. And the, um, oh, what is it? The premiere of the newest season is coming out soon. And I've been watching it on Hulu, so I've been, I finished all of it, but it's going to come out with new episodes. I see. Um, and Community. Yeah, we've been watching Community Season 6. Yes. What do you think about it so far? It's really weird. It's so weird! It's the weirdest Community has ever been. Uh, I don't know about that. Structurally wise? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Good lord. Although that's kind of old news. But. Yeah, season six got added to Hulu, and we didn't really have access to a Yahoo account that would go to our television. Yeah. So we've been watching it um, that way, and it's good. Um, I still think seasons two and three are just pure gold. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's it, I like spending time with those characters. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's not like the, what their strongest season, but even, I feel like the weakest community is still pretty good it is i haven't been disappointed necessarily so yeah yep um what else we watched the pilot we've been participating for the first time in amazon pilot season and a lot of tv this week we watched uh the pilot for 
Jean-Claude Van Johnson. Yes. And the pilot for Jean-Claude Van Johnson is that Jean-Claude Van Damme is wanting to come out of retirement. And what he means by coming out of retirement, he does not mean <laughs> from acting. He means as a contracted black ops agent for the United States government. Yes. Named Jean-Claude Van Johnson. Yes, but also he's his cover-up is his own his own identity. Yes. So every time he's been on location filming a movie, he's been on a secret undercover mission for the United States government. <laughs> yes. Do... I'm going to be very selfish about this. Do me a favor and go watch this. If you're listening, go watch this if you have access to the Amazon Prime thing. So you liked this so much that you watched it twice. In two days. Yes. But everyone listening, the way Amazon makes their series is the stuff that gets the highest ratings gets made into a series. And I need something this weird to be a television series, even if it's for one season. Because it's the weirdest show I've ever seen. It's very weird. And I can't, like, I can't believe they made a pilot out of it, let alone the fact that they want to take it to series. It's so weird and so funny. And... Um, oh gosh, I have to look up his name. Who? The guy who directed it. Oh yeah, I have no idea. What I will say is that even though I think that it's more of your cup of tea than mine, I still enjoyed it way more than I thought I would because I didn't actually grow up with him like a lot of people did. I didn't either. I've never seen a single Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. I just oh. love that premise so much. Okay. Um... Peter Atencio directed it. Okay. And Peter Atencio directed Keanu. Mm-hmm. And most episodes of Key and Peele. Yes. Peter Atencio is the best action comedy director working right now and might go down as the best action comedy director of all time. It's pretty. He's pretty good. And he's done pretty good things. Yes. And I think the thing with... Jean-Claude Van Johnson and Keanu, but Jean-Claude Van Johnson especially, is that the jokes are really funny and really clever, but also the action is really solid. Like, he stages his action very smartly. Yeah. Um, And it's something he cares about. And I, you know, you guys will see in the next week that I am in an upcoming action comedy movie that my friends and I made. And so it's something that's very important to us. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, the the idea of blending this sort of airplane sensibilities with something like John Wick is something we've uh, aspired to basically every time we've set out to make one of these movies. And to see him doing it, uh, to see that writ large in Peter Atencio's work mm-hmm. is really cool. And you just just go see it. Just go watch Jean-Claude Van Johnson. It's pretty great. Yeah. Um, we also watched the pilot, the Amazon pilot for The Tick. Uh-huh. Also one of the weirdest shows I've ever seen. It's very strange. But also, did you ever find out if Amazon is just picking one? Is it one per category? Is it just one? I don't know. One? Okay. Because I, we've only watched two, and I really believe that both of those shows are really good and should both get a season at least. I agree. I totally agree. I think that if Amazon does end up dropping one of them something else is going to pick them up. Oh, for sure. Um, Because the thing is, 
I think that you could probably do more original content with John claude Van Johnson. Mm -hmm. However, I really think that The Tick has a lot of important things. It has a really unique take on superheroes, which mm -hmm. I am not really familiar with The Tick, but maybe that's how it is in the cartoons or whatever. But it has a really unique take on superheroes, but it also... Um, does this weird stuff with, like, uh... Mental, mental illness. Yeah, mental illness. And, um, I think it's gonna be really good with it. Yeah, I think, I think for pure comedy and hilariousness, oh, Jean-Claude Van... Oh, oh, yeah, the, no. tick, the Tick is yeah. hilarious. The Tick's really funny. Like, Peter Serafankowitz as The Tick oh is incredible, like... One of the best com comedic performances of the decade in just that one episode. He's so weird and funny and yeah. offbeat and great. He's such a likable tick. Yeah. Um, it's re I thought that his humor was really good because it didn't really remind me of anything. Mm -hmm. But also it was super hilarious in its own really original way. Yeah, it was just real offbeat. Yeah. Um, and I appreciated that. So I think in terms of pure just a comedy experience mm -hmm. Jean-Claude Van Johnson has the upper hand okay. but I think thematically the tick has a lot more going on yeah. while also being really funny it's it's this weird sort of Sophie's choice I think for us because they're both pretty great in their own respective ways and they're both really like fresh comedies yeah um and and I I don't know like I, I if you told me I can only pick one of them my answer changes hour to hour I don't think that I would have a choice. I would say one of them should be on Amazon Prime and one of them really should go somewhere else and still make that thing. Yeah. I I think The Tick should be on Amazon Prime and Jean-Claude Van Johnson should end up on Netflix, but that's just me. <laughs> Why Netflix? I feel like Netflix has the budget that Jean-Claude Van Johnson needs. That's true. Though, uh, uh, I thought that The Tick had a lot of really high quality stuff. Yeah, yeah, the the effects were, you know, not quite network level, but mm -hmm. some of the better effects we've seen from these streaming services. Yeah. Um, they were willing to use CG in this yeah. more than I've seen a lot of them. Um, and it was, you know, it wasn't shoddy, but it wasn't amazing CG either, mm -hmm. but it was passable. It was definitely passable, but I think that you're right in that the concept for Jean-Claude Van Johnson is could expand to where you would need probably more of a network budget, um, mm -hmm. just because it could go super huge if it had the budget for it. Oh, yeah. It could be monstrous. Like... Explosions everywhere. Yeah. It, oh, man. The, <laughs> the action potential in Jean-Claude Van Johnson is amazing. Yeah. Um, and also, like, the like Jean-Claude Van, jo Van Damme is so funny. I really think that has a lot to do with the director and the writing, too. I mean, I... I, his performance is great, but I really think that that has helped him. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I think he comes from that, you know, the 80s where the directors really directed the actors. Yeah. You know, and so he's very, I think he's probably very easy to work with as a director. Mm -hmm. um, if he's your actor to just be like, do it this way. And he'll be like, okay. Yeah. Uh, he, he just seems like a workhorse type of guy. Mm -hmm. You know, um, one of the things about the Jean-Claude Van Johnson pilot, I will say, is he's supposed to be, like, kind of out of shape. But, yeah. like, he's still in Jean-Claude Van Damme shape, so you don't 
ever really buy that he's crazy out of shape. It's true. Um, however, when you said that, I wasn't, it didn't feel as much like that to me as I think that it felt like for you. Mm-hmm. Just because it wasn't so much that like he was super out of shape. It was that his body didn't have the muscle memory for a lot of the moves that he was famous for. Mm-hmm. That's true, because that punching bag scene was hilarious. Yes. <laughs> and then watching him try to do and fail at the splits was amazing. Oh, uh, man. Was such a good joke. Yep. Um, yeah, uh, I think I think that'll be good for what we've been watching. Except yeah. I saw Superman, and you should see Superman too because it's great. Okay. <laughs> um, Sounds good. It was my first time seeing it, and uh, yeah, uh, let's talk some news. News? What kind of news? That's a good question. So, uh, the movie La La Land got yeah. a new trailer today, just today, yeah. um, at the time of this recording. Uh, it's, it's had one other trailer. The first trailer featured Ryan Gosling singing yes, it um, did. over images from the movie. And... Oh, yes, it did. And guess what? <laughs> Due to that, you introduced me to... Ryan Gosling's Ghost Band. A.K.A. Dead Man's Bones. And it was an obsession for a good bit of my life. Um, so La La Land, uh, is a new musical from Damien. Okay, so it is a musical. Yes. Okay. I wasn't, it wasn't actually clear that that's what was happening to me, because it just wasn't. I mean, the trailers look really good, Mm -hmm. but actually not a lot of things happen. You just see a lot of non-speaking scenes with someone singing over them. Yeah. So it's it's a new musical from Damien Chazelle, who directed uh, the best movie of 2014 and one of the best movies of the decade, Whiplash. Oh, yes. And uh, wrote, co-wrote, has a co-writer's credit on one of the best movies of 2016, uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane. Oh. Yep. Um, and is just one of the best filmmakers out there right now after one and maybe a quarter movies um, that I've actually seen. And so it's this, this musical about these, uh, from, I don't really know, but from what I've gathered from the trailer, it's these two musicians, it seems like, trying to make it in the big crazy world of L.A. Mm-hmm. in an indeterminate time period. Yeah, it doesn't really, it's not really clear at this yeah. point. It seems like it's got a very 1930s vibe, just with the way L.A. seems to be laid out. Okay. And, uh, you know, the very Art Deco-y looking um, fonts used throughout the trailer. And the colors. Yes. Um, what? I don't know what those colors have to do with the 1930s. Uh, I just feel like when stuff was colored, oh, I mean, I guess when I see, like, stuff from that time period... Mm like movies or anything like Very that. Very Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. And it's got this kind of technicolor sheen to it, but also this sort of uh, everything is a set phoniness to it. Yeah. But not in a bad way. Like it looks like he's using all of this stuff to incredible effect. Mm-hmm. Um, this is my most anticipated movie of 2016. The more I see trailers for it. And I think it might far and away be the best movie to come out this year based on two trailers that don't have anything to show me. I'm crazy hype about this movie. What do you think? I think that you're going to really love it because it reminds me a lot of Punch Drunk Love. Yup! Yeah. So it's going to, it sound, it looks like it's going to be a period piece musical mm-hmm. with a lot of surrealism. Um, there are, they both, in both of the trailers, there are a couple of scenes where they're just floating up in the air 
And it seems like it's very much surreal, but also harkens back to those older musicals where they had a lot of kind of fantastical scenes in them, which wouldn't really be based in reality, but you suspend that reality when you see those older musicals. Or it's part of the reality that they do live in, a sort of magical realism. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I mean, what do you think about this movie? Honestly, I can't really give you an opinion, except for I think that the trailers are well done. Um, I think that both of their voices are good. Um, I enjoy both of them. It looks like a romance, probably a broken romance story. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I mean, the quality looks good. It looks incredibly well made. Yes. That's about all I can say about it because they don't speak in any of the trailers. Their expressions are marvelous, but that doesn't really tell me what's going on. Yeah. It um, could have a kind of crappy plot. I don't know. It's true. I just, I really don't think, um, the fact that this guy was able to write and direct an original musical in 2016 is mind-blowing to me. Is it? Yeah. Well, I guess not with the Hamilton effect. Yeah. But this was in development before Hamilton became a thing. Yeah, but I think that um, it's like not really a Hamilton effect. I think that this time period is just seeing like similar, you know, when there are time periods when people have similar like brain waves going mm-hmm. on. I feel like it, this is maybe just a time for really good musicals. Yeah. I, well, the movie musical has been dying a slow death mm-hmm. over the last maybe decade and a half. But I think I think two things. I think there will be a Hamilton effect uh, in that. I think La La Land will be seen by a lot more people than, say, Into the Woods, which kind of tanked. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, because it's going to be infinitely better. But two, because of Hamilton, you know, I think... People are really starting to take notice of a lot of musicals lately. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, part of it is, you know, people kind of want to see Hamilton a lot. And, yeah. you know, you have to go to one specific location on the <laughs> planet and pay an outrageous amount of money in order to actually go see the movie. So they feel a little starved for a musical. If you see the play. Yeah. So they feel a little starved for a musical. So it's driving them to see other things. Uh, hopefully it's driving other people to see other Broadway plays while they're there. But it will likely drive them to the theater to be like, at least it's a musical. Like, I've been wanting to see that musical, but I will settle for a musical. Um, and part of it is I think it's just going to get really good reviews. It just looks like a great movie. Yeah. It um, looks very It looks very good. Yeah. And, I mean, I love Emma Stone uh, a lot. I think she's great. Mm-hmm. And Ryan Gosling, who is someone that I have notoriously not been a fan of for most of his career, between The Big Short, which is not a movie I liked, but really liked him in it, and The Nice Guys, which is one of the best movies of the year, and he's amazing in it. I love that movie. He's so great in that movie. Yeah, I'm fully on board the Gosling train. Like, as long as he talks in this movie, I'm on board. Or sings a bunch. Yeah. Like, as long as they give him a lot of words, he's fine. Yeah. Um, because the thing with Ryan Gosling is I feel like he's kind of like a neurotic weirdo, mm-hmm. actually. But he's extremely good looking, so they cast him in these weird silent parts. These yeah. like strong silent type parts when really he should just be like babbling a lot. Yeah. Um, I agree. And so, so I'm like really, like Ryan Gosling has, 
I know he's a lot of people's favorite actors right now, or a lot of people see him as one of the best actors working in the business right now. It took me until this year to get on board with that. Yeah. Um, and I think if he keeps making these decisions where he's allowed to talk some more, he could be the actor of his generation. I I think he has a lot of potential. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I'm super excited about this movie. I have no idea when it comes out, but <laughs> I will be there. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, okay, we're going to take a short break and uh, go to film school. Guess who's back? Back again. Corey's Hello. back. Tell a friend. Tell a friend. Yes. Hello. Look, we're Suicide Squad. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, there you go. Yep. That song's in Suicide Squad. As long as I get to be Will Smith. So. I. No comment. Anyway. <laughs> um, that's fine. He's he's the best part of that movie. But we're not here to talk about <laughs> Suicide Squad. Thank goodness. Uh, Corey, welcome back. You're back on the show. Yeah, I'm excited to be back on the show. Yeah, uh, you're back for film school. As yep. we had talked about, film school was on a little bit of a hiatus. Yeah, it was. I was moving across the country, so we had to kind of put a pause on it. Yes. But I'm here. I'm back. Yep. Um, how is Indiana? It's good. It is. Uh, it's very green compared to uh, Bakersfield. <laughs> oh, that's good, I guess. <laughs> yeah, lots of rain. Um, very humid, but that's yeah, bad. Yeah, that is bad. So I sweat a lot, but it's it's really good. Like I was telling you off mic, there is a lot of like the arts and like indie film and like. So I'm excited to kind of like go into Indianapolis and kind of like explore all that stuff. Yeah, we're going to have to organize a before and after trip out there and go Heck yeah, the uh, apparently very heavy Indianapolis art scene. Yes, it is. It seems so. Yeah, it's weird. I feel like the middle of this country has these small little hubs that are arts. You know, um, Minneapolis, Minnesota is kind of one of them, too. They yeah. give birth to a lot of filmmakers and a lot of um, stand-up comedians uh, are, are out of there. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just one of those things where it just it snows for several months out of the year. And so it's like, well, might as well stay inside and work on something. Exactly. It's like, what else can I do? I can't go anywhere. Yep. Uh, well, welcome back. And yep. I'm glad yes. to have you. Uh, also in the midst of you moving, we know that we usually do. I teach, you teach, I teach, you teach. But yep. uh, you didn't have time to prepare something. And I did. So yeah. we're talking about another silent movie. This is probably the second to last silent era uh, film we're going to be talking about. Because the one after this is a doozy. And I don't know yes, where to is. go. <laughs> I don't know where to go from there. Um, you guys will hear more about that in the future. And yes. so this set of, of uh, before and after show episodes and or before and after show film school episodes and the next set are also going to be about silent movies. And we'll be kind of done with the silent era. There's only one person, uh, Douglas Fairbanks, who we'll touch on a little bit here um, that we won't get to talk about. But I think uh, that we had a pretty good run in the silent era. Yeah, and, it's been fun. Yeah, um, and I think the, 
the transition from the silent era into the talkie area era is going to be more connected than we should probably be comfortable with. Uh, I know that sounds vaguely cryptic, but you guys, if you know your film history, you probably already know what I'm talking about. If not, uh, sorry for all the racism. Surprises are coming. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But we're not talking about racism today. Uh, We're talking about Mary Pickford. Mary Pickford is one of the first superstar actresses. Uh, Think of her as Julia Roberts, Angelina Jolie, Meryl Streep all rolled into one. And that's kind of Mary Pickford. Yeah. Um, So Mary Pickford is, she was a writer, director, producer, and movie star. And she was very integral in film history in that she was one of the four main players in the founding of United Artists. Um, Usually when you talk about the founding of United Artists, you talk about Charlie Chaplin. But it was it was not just Chaplin. It was mm-hmm. Charlie Chaplin, Douglas Fairbanks, D.W. Griffith, who we'll talk about next week, and Mary Pickford. Yes. <laughs> um, so th- they founded that in 1919. But to give you a little bit of a backstory, um, Mary Pickford started her career in the early 1900s in theater. Okay. And so she was a stage actress. She was born in 1892 and lived to 1979. Wow. She was 87 years old when she died. And um, that's a pretty good life. So she started as a stage actress. She had this long curly hair. Um, she actually earned the nickname Blondie Locks or the Biograph Girl. And the reason she was called the Biograph Girl is because in her early movie days, it was the, the studio industry was basically the model at the time. If you guys have seen the recent movie Hail Caesar, basically up through the 50s and 60s, The studios owned the stars. And when I say owned, I mean could control every aspect of their life, like who they were allowed to be seen in public with. Wow. And Mary Pickford in 1910 started a contract with Biograph Pictures. And so she was she became known as the Biograph Girl. And um, to kind of jump back in that, she left theater in 1909 to start being in short films And in 1909, just in 1909, she was in 51 short films. Wow. (laughs) That's close to a movie a week. What was going on? Wow. They were just cranking them out because they could. Um, So she... And it was there that she met D.W. Griffith. D.W. Griffith uh, directed a lot of those shorts. Oh, okay. Um, and so she she was in a bunch of his shorts uh, in 1909. In 1910, she left and got her contract with Biograph. Okay, so she started with Biograph Film Company, and then she moved to Independent Motion Picture Company, IMP, mm-hmm. in 1911. Um, and she was in 150 short films between her Biograph and her IMP years. Wow. Uh, then she started directing features and she was in features for Zucor's famous players film company, um, which eventually turned into a conglomerate of Paramount Pictures. Oh, yep. So <clears throat> that's when she started making features. She, she started making features uh, under Zucor's famous film people playing company, whatever that was called. Mm-hmm. And she was in 52 features over the course of her entire career. 
but she was kind of upset with the way they could control her life. Yeah, as one would be. Yes. Uh, she also wanted to start um, making her own movies. She wanted to start writing. She wanted to start producing. She wanted to have a say in the process rather than just showing up, acting, and being told what to do. Yeah. And so in 1916, she renewed a contract with Zucor, but it gave her full authority over production of all her films. And she was making a salary of $10,000 a week. Wow. And after the films got released, she was given half of the film's profits. Wow. With a guarantee that she would make $1,040,000 per movie, no matter how well or how poorly the movie did. What? Yep. In 2016 money, that means every time she released a movie, no matter what, in addition to her $10,000 a week, she made $17,120,000. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. Yep. Um, so she was arguably the biggest businesswoman the film industry has ever seen to this day. Like, I can't think of another woman in the film industry who had that kind of a deal. Yeah. Um, she got a lot of fame for starring in roles where she played a child and she was not a child um, or a teenager. She played a lot of teenagers. Um, one, one, the, you may recognize her name from a movie that my wife and I went to go see called Sparrows. Mm -hmm. um, she was kind of, she played a, a later teenager, um, but she was almost... 35 at the time yeah. uh she's very young looking when you see her um in the movies it makes sense that she was playing a child the movie we're talking about today um is little annie rooney uh, little annie rooney is a comedy drama film from 1925 it was made when she was at united artists oh that was the other thing that happened in her life after her uh crazy contract with zucor ended mm-hmm her and her friend, D.W. Griffith, and her husband, Douglas Fairbanks, decided to go work with Charlie Chaplin. Not the uh, kind of a no brainer in the silent film era to go and work with Charlie Chaplin. And they came together to form United Artists. United Artists, their whole philosophy was giving control to the artists. Um, it's so crazy to think about the fact that there was a point in time where artists had to fight for that as this hard. Yeah. Um, because I feel like a lot of artists now, they always, they won't sign a contract without maintaining final cut or control over their stuff. Yep. Um, you know, as, as podcasters, like I would not do a thing without yeah. being yeah. able to main control, con maintain control over the, the podcast we put out. Yeah. Me either. Um, and so these, I mean, these four folks really paved the way for that. So if you're an artist, you owe these four people kind of a lot. <laughs> um, they, they did a lot of, uh, brush clearing as it were, uh, for the rights of the artist. And that's kind of amazing in and of itself. The other thing is all four of those people were arguably the four most powerful people in Hollywood. Um, Charlie Chaplin, uh, needs no introduction. D.W. Yeah. Griffith uh, is a very famous director who has a ripple <laughs> effect on the history of film. Uh, like I said, we'll talk about that next week. Yes. <laughs> and uh, uh, Douglas Fairbanks 
led to the swashbuckling action hero movie star that you kind of associate with this era of filmmaking. Um, And then Mary Pickford, obviously, the first Hollywood power woman. So these are four gargantuan people in the industry all making stuff together. Like they, it was basically unstoppable. Like the industry had to listen to them because all these films made money and that's what the studios cared about first and foremost. So it was, I mean, it's arguably one of the smartest decisions a group of artists have made ever. Um, so this movie, Little Annie Rooney is a movie from 1925 that she made under the United Artists, uh, label and she produced it, wrote in it and she starred in it. And it's just, it's, it's a comedy drama about an orphan girl named Annie. And, uh, you know, it's silent. Uh, it came out in 1925 mm-hmm. and it's based off of, the song Little Annie Rooney from 1899, late 19th century. Um, She was inspired by the song to write the movie. And so that's how she came up with the story of the movie. She actually wrote the movie under a a pseudonym of Catherine Hennessy. And I can't tell you why (laughs) Um, I was unable (laughs) to find information as to why. Um, But yeah, so she, she wrote it, produced it and started in it. She was 33 at the time and Little Annie Rooney is 12. Oh, okay. Yep. Uh, however, this is kind of how she made her bread and butter. Uh, she was very, very much known for playing children and teenagers. And so no one thought twice about it. So if you complain about the teenagers on TV who look like they're in their 40s, well, Mary Pickford was 33 playing a 12-year-old. There you go. Started early. <laughs> yep. Um, so the story is just kind of about this young irish immigrant girl in new york city and kind of her life in the slums of new york city she often played poor girls when she played um when she played uh children and teenagers she played poor girls the movie sparrows that my wife and i saw she played an orphan who was in these kind of heinous conditions and worked her way out of it that was a story she liked telling a lot and Mm. um you know it was a story i think a lot of people could relate to especially post-world war one and Um, You know, the economy was starting to boom again, but there was still this little, you know, wartime kind of bankrupts a company and then or bankrupts a country and then we have a boom. So um, she was also in several uh, World War One propaganda, uh, United States propaganda movies um, for the government. Uh, That's a whole different story. Um, I would love to teach on World War propaganda movies from uh, the Americas. if you get a chance, you should read a book called The Four Came Back or Five Came Back, something like that. It's great. It's about these uh, directors who made these World War II um, propaganda movies for America. And it's super fascinating. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, uh, uh, Mary Pickford was involved with the World War One side of that propaganda filmmaking in America. Yeah. Um, little Annie Rooney, though, the character itself has a kind of a fascinating history in that the song is from 1889 and was about a little orphan girl named Annie. Does that sound familiar? Yes, I don't know where I've heard that before, MJ. <laughs> yep. So Little Annie Rooney is a comic strip. Oh, okay. But it is not to be confused with Little Orphan Annie, 
Yeah. It's a separate comic strip from Little Orphan Annie. So what happened is um, in 1885, the poem Little Orphan Annie by James Whitcomb Riley um, was released. And then on August 5th, 1924, the New York Daily News. Uh, no, wait. Yeah. On August 5th, 1924, um, the New York Daily News debuted a comic strip named Little Orphan Annie. Okay. Um, kind of inspired by that and inspired by the song Little Annie Rooney, Mary yeah. Pickford went on to make this movie. The movie was a runaway success. It's one of her biggest, it's one of her most popular movies. It's one of her most profitable mo- profitable movies. It, it, it uh, is lauded critically and uh, commercially. It made a ton of money. Um, people loved it, uh, critics and audiences alike. So in 1927, little Annie Rooney made her debut as a comic strip character. Oh. Yep. Which was clearly a ripoff of Little Orphan Annie. So it kind of was this weird circuitous thing where (laughs) Little Orphan Annie, the poem came first, and then someone was likely inspired by that to write the the song Little Annie Rooney. And then... Um, Little Orphan Annie debuts as a comic strip in 1924. Mary Pickford is triggered this song from her childhood about a little orphan named Annie called Little Annie Rooney. She makes this movie, which probably in turn skyrockets the popularity of the Little Orphan Annie comic strip. This uh, comic strip artist and and writer... um, sees that Little Orphan Annie is taking off in the comic strips and writes a Little Annie Rooney comic strip in 1927. And Little Annie Rooney is about a girl going on adventures with her dog, and she's also an orphan. Yep. That's how art works, folks. It's kind of cool. Yeah. So, Corey, what do you think about uh, all this? I know there was a lot. This is uh, kind of the most sprawling episode I think we've had to date. Uh, of the before and after show film school. What do you think about this, uh, this story of Mary Pickford and, and um, sort of where we enter into it in 1925 with, with little Annie Rooney? I'm, I'm interested to, to see this film. Um, Like I'd heard about her before because like, you know, you and Kristen had gone to see sparrows and you'd mentioned like her to me, but I didn't know like any of this backstory about like, you know, her being a businesswoman and her like, you know, forming the group of United Artists, you know, with the the other major like key players in the silent film era. And so I, I, I don't know. It's like that's really cool to hear about that. And like the whole thing with like, you know, like little Annie Rooney, it's like, oh, that's that's funny how art, you know, like affects other art. And I'm sitting here thinking it's like, yeah, and probably after like this breakout film that was probably some inspiration to like you know later have like Annie the musical and like the one with Shirley Temple so it's just it's just like fascinating all of it's like really fascinating so I'm really interested to like see this movie and just kind of get I guess like my first exposure to her yeah yeah I think she's um you know I, I think there aren't a lot of women in front of the camera that really we talk about um mm-hmm. actually the beginning of of the film industry there's a lot of women behind the camera who were producing and directing and editing especially um you know if even now like editing is kind of basically pick almost any one of your favorite movies or one of the movies that's considered one of the all-time greats a woman likely edited it 
Um, so those were the roles that they kind of took that they really took at the beginning of the film industry. And, you know, you had your starlets and stuff like this, but Mary Pickford is the one who was able to sort of break out and like do something with it rather than just letting yeah. the studio own her. And so she has made this really lasting impression across the whole of cinematic history. Whereas a lot of these other actresses, like they're remembered for the films they were in. Um, yeah. Mary Pickford is remembered for the film she was in. Cause she's a great actress, but also for um, just her business acumen and the, the, the stuff she did for the rights of the artist. Yeah. Um, so I think she has a little more staying power in this conversation, which is why we're talking about her and why I wanted to get to her um, and, and her story before we we left the silent era because i feel like it's super important yeah it definitely is i mean you know just she was kind of like one of the main like first advocates for like the rights of like you know the people involved you know yeah yeah and uh i mean she has the talent to back it up man we saw sparrows and she's just got this really great face um Mm. and yes in that she's actually really attractive um (laughs) but it just it's so expressive and she's got these huge eyes that she can uh you know she can put a fire and an anger behind or she can be very vulnerable she's very good at you know telling the story that needs to be told in silence yeah Um, and so so that's i'd say that's something to be um looking out for she's not you know quite as physical as sort of the 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 big guys we've talked about in the in the silent era but I think she um, she's she's just her, the way she uses her face is so good and so it's just clean. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 consummate artisanship in 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 her reactions. And, you know, she's able to do these sort of broad, funny things. Even in Sparrow, she got a couple jokes that were sort of pratfally and physical. But, you know, it's still a very serious movie about uh, being an orphan and being a beast. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and I, I likely expect the same thing out of little Annie Rooney. I haven't seen the movie. Um, mm. But yeah, so so pay attention to one, her face to her long hair. That was kind of her trademark. Um, it was red or strawberry blonde kind of. Um, you know, that was, like I said, she earned the nickname Blondie Locks uh, when she, in her biograph days. Uh, they would often advertise a movie as starring Blondie Locks uh, oh, okay. rather than using her <laughs> real name. And um, yeah, so so pay attention for that and Little Annie Rooney. You can find it on Amazon Prime. We've talked about this before. Amazon Prime has a ton of silent yeah, movies. Yeah, it's all of them. Yeah. Man. Um, and this is no different. So uh, yeah, Little Annie Rooney is available to watch for free on Amazon Prime video. Um, it's 95 minutes, so it's it's a little bit longer of one. Uh, I know it's a silent movie, so... But they're uh, so good. So at really this are. point, you guys should be like, yeah, give me another silent film. It's yeah. been too long. If the general didn't make you want to watch another silent movie, I don't know what to tell you because that movie's yeah. amazing. So good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, I think that'll do it. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk about um, Little Annie Rooney and and not just the business side of, of Mary Pickford's life, but uh, her performance in this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Corey, do you have anything to add? No, I'm just excited to be back. Yeah, welcome back. I'm super excited too. Um, all right, we yeah. will take a short break and we'll be right back to myself and my lovely wife talking about Don't Breathe.
and we're back. I hope you enjoyed uh, Corey's triumphant return to the before and after show. Woohoo! Um, he is gone, but not uh, out, as you have heard. And I really hope you give uh, you give little little Annie Rooney what is little Annie yeah yeah little Annie Rooney uh, a chance and and go watch it. It's free on Amazon Prime. Yep. I know it's a ninety minute silent movie, but uh, you can attest to the fact that Mary Pickford is a great actress. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's worthy of your time if you're a movie ba- fan to, uh, to go and sort of seek this stuff out. Um, but we are here now to talk about, uh, something completely different than, mm-hmm. uh, La La Land or Don't Breathe. Um, no, La La Land or Little, <laughs> we are here to talk about something completely different from, uh, La La Land or Little Annie Rooney. We're here to talk about Don't Breathe. Yep. Don't Breathe is a new movie from 2016, mm-hmm. um, written and directed by Fede Alvarez. Uh, Fede Alvarez did 2013's Evil Dead remake, which you and I watched just last night. We did. And it was my second time seeing it. It was your first time seeing it. Yes. Um, what did you think about the remake of Evil Dead? Now, you, before you answer, uh-huh. you don't have, you're not a member of the cult of the Evil Dead the way a lot of cinephiles are. I'm not. Um, you've seen the original and I think you mostly like the original but you're not crazy about it like a lot of us are uh yeah i think that's true i think that i think that it's fine but it reminds me of the way of it reminds me of how a lot of people love the princess bride but you're not super a big fan of it me yes yes it 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 that's what I compare it to when I'm thinking of how I feel of the Evil Dead. It's not that I hate it, yeah. and I could definitely watch it again, um, but I'm not going to watch it every night. Right. Right. And the thing with the Evil Dead is, you know, it's kind of got this, uh, it's 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 a real scrappy kind of movie. Like, it's just kind of compiled from this group of college kids that wanted to make a thing, and yeah. they did. And then they, like, kind of struck gold with it. Um but all that to be said, you are not precious about the Evil Dead the way a lot of us are. Mm-hmm. So what did you think about the updated version of the Evil Dead? Um, I think that you liked it more than me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I, I liked it more than I thought that I would. When it first came out, I saw the trailer and I said, no, I'm not going to see this. I'm never going to see this. Don't care. Um, because it just seemed like it took kind of a fun horror movie and made it kind of gross. Um, I don't think it made it as gross as I the trailers made it out to be. Um, I mean, I just thought I was going to have to turn it off. Mm-hmm. I only put that caveat on it because you looked at me like I was a crazy person. I just, that movie's so gross. It is, but I thought that it was going to just be obscenely gross. Like, I thought that it was going to be so obscenely gross that I wasn't going to be able to watch it and I was going to turn it off within the first ten minutes kind of a deal. Mm -hmm. Um, The same way I kind of felt about Deadpool. Like, all everyone said it was so obscenely bad, you know, that I thought that I was going to have to walk out or something. Mm -hmm. Um, So it wasn't so obscenely gross that I had had the desire to leave. Um, And I don't think that it made it, like... That, to where I felt gross about it, you know? Um, I think that it's just, just as gross as a lot of other horror movies. Modern horror movies. Uh-huh. Um, that being said, 
I did feel like making it a lot more realistic took a little bit away from what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't trying to be what it was. It was trying to remake it, obviously. Right. Um, and I think that uh, there were a couple things, like you said, that kind of made more sense than the original Evil Dead. Mm. Some of the choices they made made the plot actually made a little make. Some of their choices uh, made the plot actually make a lot more sense. Yeah. Could you... I think I know a couple of them, but could you remind me of a couple of those choices? The big one for me is the raped by a tree scene. Um, Yeah. It's a scene that is very famous in the first one. It's incredibly gratuitous. It's actually maybe one of my least favorite scenes in the movie because of how gratuitous it is. It just kind of feels like... Oh, this would be effed up. Which, I mean, I, I know a lot of that first movie especially kind of feels that way, but that one feels just very exploitative. Mm-hmm. Um, in this one, they give it a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the the reason being that that's how the, the demon possesses the, the girl who gets possessed. And so I think to have that on there, it makes way more sense. Mm-hmm, um, than and, just having it just because. Yeah, and I think that it's a very good allegory for possession. You know, it's this forced entry of someone else into your body mm-hmm. um you know it's 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 an unwanted presence inside of your being yeah um and so i think i think that was a really smart decision and you know i, I think that that sequence is so synonymous with the evil dead that they had to have had it in there um you know i think i think a lot of people wouldn't have necessarily begrudged them for not including the scene but i think also even though I don't like it that much, there's a lot of people who think that scene is great, uh, who are fans of that movie. Mm. And so I think it's so beholden to that franchise that you do need that scene in there. But to kind of frame it that way, I think, is a, a good modern way to do it. Um, okay. And that's that was the big one for me. Um, yeah. I think for me, too, actually, the they changed the premise a little bit. Um, right? Mm, yeah. The, because of... The five Why souls. they're there. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why they're there made a little bit more sense to me. Um, it, I mean, so the thing is, in order for it to... The thing is, in order for them to make it more realistic and less campy, it would have been a really bad choice for them to make a really realistic version of this and just be like, hey, we're a bunch of kids gonna go to a cabin. Yeah. Um, I think it would have, it would have felt really weird. Yeah. Um, so I think that that choice was also a good one to have the reason that they're there be different. And um, more serious. Yes. And more serious. The, the intervention. Yeah. Yeah, um, I really like this movie. It's a movie I loved when I saw it in 2013. Um, mm-hmm. I also saw it at a discount theater with a very loud audience who reacted <laughs> great to uh, a lot of the gore. Um, first and foremost, I think that Evil Dead is a uh, is two things. I think it's, uh, once again, to use the word scrappy, I think it's a very scrappy indie horror movie. Mm-hmm. But I also think it's a gore hound's dream. Yeah. Um, it's very gory. It's very gory on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it's pretty low budge gory, but it's still gory. And so this movie is very gory. The remake yeah, is. is. Uh, and I love it. I'm not a gore hound. That's not the type of um, horror movie I usually go in for. Mm-hmm. But there's something about the Evil Dead that turns me into one. I don't know what it is, 
but there's something about that that goriness that i just love um and i think i think the new evil dead has some of the goriest moments in modern cinema and it's great um it's it's there's something so charming about that gore i i can't tell you what it is like i said but there's just something it's because it's it's still pretty over the top gory it is there were some things where i'm just like really you really needed that to happen yeah like the electric (laughs) knife the electric knife and the ripping off of the arm oh that's called degloving Okay, well, I was just like, you really you needed that to happen? Yeah. Yeah, um, I think there is, you know, even though it is more serious, I think there's still a very playful nature to it all. You know, it's mm-hmm. so heightened that you know it's a fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not going for crazy realistic because, let's face it, some of the injuries these pe- people face, they would have been dead in seconds. Yes, the one guy gets so many puncture wounds. Yeah. So... Many throughout throughout the movie, not yep. just one time, but a couple different times. Yes. So I think I think I think that that made me that endeared me to it. Um, I think that the idea of remaking the Evil Dead is very gutsy. Yeah. Um, I think I think that it shows. I think that that it shows a an almost arrogance in the filmmaker who decides to do that. But I think it comes, it doesn't come off as arrogant. Um, no, you know, it doesn't. It, it comes off as very confident. It comes off in like, I know I'm worthy of putting an entry or putting my mark on this franchise. Mm-hmm. And I know how to be respectful to it. Yeah. Um, I think there are some very good uh, nods to it, like the car in the backyard. Um, there's a dumb after credit scene with Bruce Campbell. Oh my gosh. Uh, um. You know, they make the original poster artwork uh, fit into the main plot of the movie with the abomination being being a thing mm-hmm. in this one rather than uh, it not being a thing in the original. Um, I think it is very respectful to the previous Evil Dead movies, but I also think it's very confident. And I think Fede Alvarez is a very confident filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And that leads us to Don't Breathe. So Don't Breathe is is coming out this weekend. Yeah. Um, the Main plot, from what I can gather from the one trailer I've seen, is that a group of, of um, young uh, thug people, like, just kind of uh, hoodlums, I guess? I guess. Um, decide to break into this man's house uh, to steal a bunch of money that he's supposedly hiding in it. Yeah, I don't even know if they're hoodlums, though, because, like, one of them has this idea, and the other two are kind of like, why would you do this? And kind of, it seems like they're a little bit begrudging about it. But I could be wrong. That's just how it seemed to me in the trailer. Yeah, maybe. We've only seen the trailer once. Yeah. Um, and so they break into this guy's house. Uh, and the reason they break in is because they know he's blind. And so mm-hmm. they know he's at a disadvantage. And it turns out he's got daredevil hearing. Yep. Um, and he just starts wrecking these fools in his house. Oh my goodness. And uh, that's about it as far as the plot that you get from the trailer. Yeah, is it implied or did we just get told that actually he is he is a serial killer? Uh, well, maybe implied, but I didn't get that. Okay, I think that Devin was talking to us about that. Oh. And she, when she was describing it, she was saying that. Um, no, that's not explicitly mentioned, but I also didn't get that vibe from the trailer. Um, he might be, like, ex-Special Forces. 
Okay. That's kind of how he seems in the trailer. Okay, but I thought his basement had, like, stuff in it. Yeah, they, like, there's, like, they they find some creepy stuff. And from the reviews I've read, like, you find out some pretty dark stuff about his past. Uh-huh. Um, but they, I haven't heard specifically what that is. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that's, I mean, that's the basic premise, uh, is three young people decide to rob this blind guy. Blind guy starts wrecking them in his house and locks them in there and chases them down even though he's blind. Yeah. Uh, I am crazy excited for this movie yeah we saw this trailer before we saw lights out mm-hmm. and the trailer ended and all i remember is going that immediately made lights out worse for me <laughs> um i liked lights out fine but i feel like my enjoyment of that movie was hindered by how good the trailer for don't breathe was okay. because the whole time we were watching lights out i was like this is good can we watch Don't Breathe instead? <laughs> um, I have never actively sought out free advanced screenings for a movie as hard as I've sought out free advanced screenings for this movie. Did you really? Yes. Oh, you didn't tell me. I was like once a week since we saw the trailer. I was on GoFobo looking for screening anywhere near us okay. that we could go to. I am so excited for this movie. I think it looks great. Um, I think a lot of the things that were on display in Evil Dead look like they're on display here in a much more controlled way. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he's gotten a a really good handle on his filmmaking sensibilities. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense that you'd like it because same director as Mm -hmm. the other Evil Dead, produced by Sam Raimi. Mm. So Ghost House. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that... I'm not sure... Thriller, I'm I'm almost guaranteed to like all horror, but this, no matter what people say, is actually not a horror movie. It's more of a thriller suspense movie, and sometimes those kind of movies just hit me the wrong way for some reason. I can't actually tell you why, but all I know is I either really love thrillers or I really hate thrillers. Um, and so we'll see. It, it looks like a good movie, but I mean... With those, I feel like a lot of people feel the same way about horror movies as I feel about thrillers, in that they could be really good or seem really good and be really bad. Yeah. Yeah, I think there is, um, I think there is wild inconsistency in the horror genre, Mm -hmm. which, um, is part of why people are turned off by it, um. We know a lot of good little Christian kids who are turned off by the evilness of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I think that the the varying quality, like you never know what you're going to get with a horror movie for for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, unless it's got certain names attached to it, like yeah. James Wan. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you go see a James Wan movie, you basically know the, the even if it's a lesser James Wan, you know it's going to be pretty quality. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Fede Alvarez, this is only his second movie. Yeah. So... Uh, I think that has a great trailer. I think his previous work is outstanding. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm excited for it. It could be completely botched, though. He could completely kill the momentum of the tension that is in this movie. Um, You know, we're just not going to know until we see it. Yep. But my bar is almost too high. Like, I'm going to... I hope I'm not disappointed by this movie. I was going to say, that's really... That's a really dangerous position to be in. Yeah. To have your bar so high, which is, I think, maybe why I've lowered mine a little bit. Just because I would rather, I would rather like it. I just like 
to like movies, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't like to not like them. So I think that the expectations are going to play really big. And honestly, I think they really play a big part in how you watch movies as well. Oh, yeah. That's why I built a show around it. Yeah. Just because I feel like sometimes you don't like movies the first time you watch them because your expectations are so high. But I think, I mean, for the most part, I've seen you once you've watched it a couple times. Well, not just it, but when you watch some movies uh, more than once, I feel like you tend to appreciate them more because your expectations are then lowered. Yeah, fair enough. Um, It is currently sitting at an 89% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is very good. Um, Yeah. It's also a very good time for studio horror movies. It Um, really is. You know, The Conjuring 2 came out this year, and it was great. Uh, It's not quite the best movie of the year the way The Conjuring 1 was, but it's a real solid movie. Yes, it is. Um, Blair Witch is coming out in just over a month, and it looks so good. Uh, I'm way more excited for that than I am this movie, but I'm still excited for this movie. Uh, Dope Lights Out came out in June. Yep. It was a really solid movie. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't as earth-shatteringly terrifying as... I wanted it to be, um, based on how scary that trailer was. And I think Don't Breathe looks like another solid studio horror movie. Um, You know, I think the studios have been putting out, uh, the big name studios have been putting out better horror movies than they have been tentpole action blockbuster movies. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I think that's part of why I'm excited about this movie. There's been a proven track record over the last three years of the studios really nailing horror movies. Yeah. Um, 10 Cloverfield Lane is a borderline horror movie, and it was amazing. Yeah, Um, I can see that. You know, I I just think, I think there's a level of consistency we've seen in studio horror that we haven't seen in a few decades, and I'm excited about it. And that's why I'm excited for this movie. And also, Stephen Lang is great. Um, I love that guy. He's in Tombstone, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Okay, is he in anything else? Because I didn't really recognize the name. Avatar. He's the evil general in Avatar. Oh, okay. I only saw that movie one time. That's fine. Um, it's bad, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, you. He's he's kind of a that guy though. Okay. Um, you would you would recognize him if you saw him. He's pretty he's pretty crazed looking and don't breathe. Yeah, and are any of the the like quote unquote kids? Are they people that we may recognize also, or are they kind of no-names? Um, this Dylan Minnette kid looks familiar to me. Avatar 5. What? Uh, I was looking at Stephen Lang's credits. Oh. Dylan Minnette. Oh, Dylan Minnette's in Goosebumps. He's the main kid in Goosebumps. Okay. Yep. Uh, he's the only one who looks familiar to me. So it seems like kind of a cast of unknowns. Um, or like maybe rising rising yeah. stars. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I think it looks really good. Uh, and I mean, I, I don't really have too much else to say about the movie to you. No, I think that, I think that my expectations are moderate. I think mm. that it's probably, I'm probably going to enjoy it. I enjoy most movies. Um, I'm just worried I'm not worried, but I think that my bar has been set to moderate just because I am concerned about the pacing and 
perhaps the level of tensions that might not get uh, fulfilled. I agree. Um, and at, that's actually a perfect lead-in to what my final point about it. One of the reasons I don't think they're going to botch it, this movie's an hour and 28 minutes long. Okay. Um, when you have a movie that short, it means it's got to work like a machine mm-hmm. or it's not going to work at all. Yeah. Um, and I think Evil Dead, his Evil Dead works like a machine. It's only an hour and 31 minutes long, including the entire credits. It's basically, as far as actual movie goes, an hour and 26 minutes. Yeah. And I think that movie moves. It really does. You feel like, I felt very mesmerized the whole time, even though we took a couple breaks, like it didn't feel... Like, we actually sat down for very long. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, and so with that, I think I think Fede Alvarez has a very solid sense of pacing. Okay. And I think he knows how to be efficient in his time. Mm-hmm. At least he proved that to me on Evil Dead. Uh, you know, and so I think I think he, he makes real lean movies okay. in order to get the maximum amount of thrills out of it. You know, this really... Kind of uh, just aggressive setup and teardown. Just like set it up, knock it down, and then we're out. Like um, real, I don't know, just real, uh, real kind of like felt and punchy movies. And so I, I, I'm looking forward to that. That's my favorite kind of movie. Okay. If you have like an hour twenty eight minute thriller or an hour twenty one minute uh, horror movie or action movie, like I'm in. John Wick. Mm-hmm. Hour, it's like an hour 40. Oh, I think it's so about good. seven minutes too long. <laughs> um, uh, you know, uh, 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 Taken. I think Taken's a perfect action movie. Okay. So 20 minutes of, uh, 20 minutes of setup, uh, an hour of, yes. of Liam Neeson knocking fools around. Yep. <laughs> um, you know, I think, I think that, that I love action movies and I love horror movies. They're probably two of my favorite genres of movie. Um, and I think the shorter it is, the more I'm willing to be excited about. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, do you have anything else? Um, no, I think that, I think that my expectations are still moderate. I think that you have the right to have high expectations. I think basically what you're saying is, Hey, Mr. Director, I've seen what you can do now. If you don't do that, I knew that you could do better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't, I think it'll be good just based on the, the reviews from the people that I read are pretty high. Um, it seems right around that Evil Dead level of quality. So hopefully, uh, but we'll be back next week to talk about that. Yeah. And in the meantime, you can find me at MJSmith891 on Twitter. Are you on Twitter? No. Uh, I tried to be. You're on Instagram. To... Do you want to plug your Instagram? Uh, I mean, maybe. It's kind of boring. It's Mrs. Smith's life, and I just mainly post dinner that I make for both of us and fun stuff that we do and puppies. Well, there you go. If you like <laughs> fun stuff, puppies, and dinner, you should follow Mrs. Smith's life yep. on Instagram. Hashtag Insta. Hashtag no filter. Hashtag woke up like this. All um, right. <laughs> You can find every single thing that we do over at thatrealperspective.blogspot.com. That's that R-E-E-L perspective.blogspot.com. Get it? And there's reviews. There's several contributors over there. You can find our YouTube show over there. Alternatively, you can find our YouTube show on YouTube. Uh, Each week, 
Mike Morey and I take a different classic movie um, and talk about it. And it's set up much like this before and after style, but it's about 15 minutes. It's leaner mm-hmm. um, than this show is. And yeah, uh, you can find that on That Real Perspective or on YouTube. Subscribe over there. You can su- subscribe to this very podcast on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on Stitcher Radio, on Beyond Pod if you're an Android user. And um, keep an eye out for The Precinct Deception. It's a oh my movie. Gosh that uh, my friends and I have made, Mike Moray, co-host of the Before and After Show on YouTube. Uh, him and his brother wrote and directed this movie. I'm in it. Major hype. Major hype. Uh, the Precinct colon Major Hype. Yes. Um, that would be, Major Hype would be a character <laughs> in The Precinct. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, we worked really hard on it, uh, especially Mike and Matthew, oh gosh, uh, the brothers yeah. at the center of it, and it's pretty great. I'm pretty proud of it. It's uh, it's just real fun, and so we are premiering it this Saturday and uh, for a group of us, and then it'll be available to you folks on streaming, and we will have all the links set up for that. Um, we'll be doing a special precinct special. Uh, that's what this is going to be called, the very special precinct special Yes, on YouTube, and talking to some of the stars, talking to the brothers Moray, who, uh, you know, are responsible for it. And yeah, you should check it out because they are very good and they're our friends. And, yes, they are. Uh, you should support good art as opposed to bad art. Um, yeah, and uh, share this with your friends. We appreciate you listening. Um, just try to get the word out. If you like it, just be like, hey, I like this. You You should too also as well. Yeah, the thing is... The more people that listen to this and watch the YouTube videos, the more content you can make. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this. I want to do this, like, as a job. Oh, my gosh. He wants to do it so bad. He talks about it literally every day. Um, And the only way I can get to that is if you guys get it out there. Um, You know, I'm not asking for money. I don't have a GoFundMe started. I don't. I haven't done a Kickstarter. Um, You know, I, I just want the word of mouth to get out there. That's and. the thing. Uh, you you love this. I feel like you would do this for free for a long time. Yeah. But I feel like in order for this to really keep going, I feel like we you can't just have listeners that just listen to it and shut it off. If they if you guys are really love this, I really feel like you gotta get it out there if you want it to keep going. Like I know a lot some podcasts that I've really liked and I haven't shared. And then they stop doing it. I'm like, oh, man, like, now I miss it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, one of my favorite board game podcasts went away because of that after yeah. nine episodes. Which is too bad. I really hate when that happens. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's why this show has not gone away. Um, you know, uh, you know as well as I do that I've toyed with the idea of it going away. Yeah. And it hasn't and won't for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, we have stuff scheduled out for the end of the year. Um, up through the week before Christmas and we will stick to that. Um, you know, this does cost us money, uh, to do this. It's free for you. It's not Mm -hmm. free for us. And, uh, you know, we're mostly fine with that, but the way you can give back is not to give us money. Uh, we're not asking for donations. Like I said, just share it. Just say, Hey, I like this thing. You should also like this thing. Yeah. Um, and we appreciate the listens, uh, no matter how many there are. Um, we love you guys. We appreciate you guys listening. Uh, every listen counts. Uh, even if the numbers are low, uh, you can, you can do something about that. And until next time, go watch Superman the movie. I will.
Makana-san. Makana-san. <laughs>